I'll start, you start. Um, okay, who's fishing? You're fishing, so you start. Okay. You know what's confusing? What? It's actually the afternoon now. Oh, so you can't say good morning. That throws the whole thing off. It's definitely nighttime here now. It's Fine. not evening anymore. You're going to say good morning. But it's also going to sound weird if I start saying <laughs> <laughs> good night, Harry. <laughs> good afternoon. Uh, welcome to this Crafty World podcast. My name is Harry. I'm a furniture maker in Bristol, England. Good evening. I'm Shane. I'm a furniture conservator restorer in Sydney, Australia. Nice. Yes, you are. Still. Yeah. That's good. I feel like I have to say Australia because I got a number of people getting in touch with me thinking I was in the UK. Really? That is funny. All the Sydneys in, in the UK. That would be the problem. Hmm. Terrible. I wish I was in the UK. No, wait. No, I don't. Do I'm you? quite happy to be in Australia right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're currently in... So we've, we've come out of lockdown in Bristol and mm-hmm. we've gone good. into tier three restrictions, which means yeah. we're still in lockdown. Oh, so right. great. So nothing has changed. Um, chances are we'll still be in this for Christmas, which is causing all sorts of problems. Yeah, people aren't happy about that, I assume. No, but they've decided to, four days over Christmas, just absolutely let everyone do whatever they like. Purge. Essentially a purge, which makes loads of sense. Really fine. The, the <laughs> idea is that people will just do it anyway if they don't do that, and then get a kind of taste for, for disobedience. For blood. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it kind of makes sense. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. No. <laughs> so, this episode is titled Teaching the Task, sponsored by the letter T. We've, we've mentioned we wanted to teach, talk about teaching for, for since we started this. It's something we're both very interested in and involved with to, to different degrees. And we're going to start, I'm going to start, by talking about something that I've thought about a lot and we've discussed a little bit as well, which is the idea of process versus product-based teaching. So I'm going to talk about this to begin with in terms of woodworking and furniture making, but on the whole, this does apply to other crafts and teaching a lot of stuff, if not everything as well. Hmm. So what I mean by process versus product-based teaching, that from, from my point of view, there's, there's two kinds of students or there's two reasons, two different reasons, why a student might come to do a course and the first one being they want to make a thing to take home to their family and say here's a thing that I made isn't it great this is kind of a your experience they're often marketed as a woodworking experience come and turn a plate and take it home brilliant or come and make a table whatever it might be or come and make whatever you like and it's an ongoing course but we're focused on on the project that's that's the goal of the course yeah. The second one being, we're focused on the skills to progress your your craft. So that student is coming to learn how to do woodworking rather than how to make a thing and have to do woodworking to get there. That That's the difference. I'm more interested in, in the journey of getting to the thing than I am the thing and having to do the journey. Yeah. So I'm... I'm interested in, in, in the latter, in the process-based teaching, in teaching the process, getting people excited about the process and kind of less focused on the final product and giving people the confidence to walk away and tackle other projects. I think that's, that's the main difference, really. That's kind of what I'm trying to get at here, is in a process-based course, you, give, you walk away as a student with confidence to go and, go and, <clears throat> go and attack a a different project or try and make anything out of wood because you you've gained these skills to do so whereas if you if, if I've gone and made a project I can't necessarily make that again I don't know what tools I might need or I don't have the confidence to go and attack something else maybe I do depending yeah. on the per- um, the the issue I think the main issue with process-based course and something that I'm kind of working with at the moment with designing a couple of courses to teach at various different places is mm-hmm. is marketing a process-led course and making it engaging enough that people want to sign up for it. You, mm. you, you will always get people that are very keen and like, want to get into woodworking, which was kind of where I started. I, I, I was keen to, to learn about the joinery, learn about the tools, um, and I could kind of just make stuff along the way. I'm very much aware, and I believe, 
the vast majority of people that get into making stuff are getting into it because they want something. Like, I need a desk. Or I could make it a word. Let's look at some woodworking videos. I'm on my way to getting absolutely obsessed with woodworking. I think that is is a very, very common path. I don't know if it's the majority, but it feels very common. So I think designing a course in such a way that it's it's engaging and exciting enough for a student that doesn't necessarily walk away with a project is a very difficult task. And that's something I've been working on at the moment. That's when Mm. I want to ask you a question, Shane. Because this this is something that kind of first came to me during my time at the Bower, where, where you worked in Sydney. And... Mm-hmm. You were teaching there, and I kind of, I kind of sat in. I wouldn't go as far to say I taught assistant taught, but I sat in and kind of wandered around on a couple of your courses. And and I think you dealt with this in a very interesting way. So what I want to ask you is how, in that context, at the Bower, how how did you deal with balancing the course being satisfying enough for the students to walk away with a thing and feel like they've accomplished something? something tangible and how did you balance that with them kind of imparting enough knowledge onto them to try and gain them some confidence and the ones that want to continue have enough to kind of get going how did you balance that and kind of how did the project you you make how how did how did that decision of that balance influence the project you designed you made i'm thinking about the toolbox course yeah, I, I was going to say, you might, the, the toolbox course is the one that you've got to be referring yeah. to, because like, we've talked about the, the furniture repair course that we did, where there wasn't a, everyone took apart this one chair, yeah. and we put it all back together every time, and they didn't walk away with much of their own, and that was something we actually struggled with a lot, because everybody wanted to bring in a piece mm. to work on. That was one of the things, oh, I'm doing a furniture repair class, can I bring in this thing that yeah, I, I have to work on? Yeah. Yeah, which is was what everyone pitched would be more popular and more desirable. And I just, I struggled to say yes to because I go into it with exactly what you're talking about. I'm like, yeah, but I want you to walk out of my class having the fundamental knowledge that I think is necessary for you to be able to repair anything. And if we get bogged down in these individual projects that all you're thinking about Specifics. is the chair that you brought yeah. in, then then you, you're less likely to walk out of my mind with the all the fundamentals that I want you to have. Yeah. So I have designed this project here that I want you to do so that you get what I specifically, which is a little bit of a control freak aspect on my part. Yeah. And I it, I actually struggle with that a lot, even with, so the, the course you're referring to, the introductory to woodworking course that we ran with Sydney Community College, which is still run almost every day of the week yes. now in Sydney. Um, yeah, going really well. Brilliant. That was built around a list of skills and tools that we noticed people we noticed from our perspective were really valuable basic tools and skills that um, went a long way in getting you started Mm. but a lot of people would could use um, help just just feeling confident with or having some basic understanding one of the big ones for instance was the difference between drills and drivers Mm. drilling holes and putting screws and stuff and the two tools the impact driver and the drill for doing that very simple almost like for a lot of woodworkers below them to some degree but incredibly valuable for anyone at a community level to be able to like hang pictures on their walls or you know build a deck or all sorts of things so we built the course so that we would have an opportunity with each one of these tools and that we would have lingering time around it so that we could talk about these tools we could properly explain these tools we could explain them in a way that like all those little things that when you figure it out, you're like, oh, right, oh, okay, that's cool. I never knew that. Yeah. Those were the things that we really wanted to share. So, like, you know, the drill and the driver are different. This one's for holes and this one's for screws, and that's because of this and this. And once you know that, this is going to open up a whole bunch of opportunities for you to do better work. And that was kind of what we wanted to do. So with the woodworking course, we designed based off um, an Australian version of the English joiner's toolbox yeah. which is four kind of board sides apply front and back and then a lid that's cut into it pretty much with a jigsaw mm. that box over six weeks gave us the opportunity to in week one have them use hand saws and in week two introducing chisels and then glue and screw and 
um, nail and using a jigsaw and using a circular saw and then at the end doing a fine refinement of chiseling out where a hinge would be so they'd get this scope of skills and projects and every week was almost built around a tool or a skill and I was quite happy to leave them with extra time on it so in week one it was almost exclusively just hand saws and I'd I'd introduce them and I'd introduce them to the boards and we'd be like here's our tool and skill and if they finished early then they could leave I didn't want to rush them into the next thing Mm. what I wanted them to be doing was thinking about only saws one of the things that we struggled with though for a long time and I didn't even realize it was that because we had that box Early on, people were thinking about that box yeah. and they would just kind of roughly cut their four boards to the length because they were thinking about building that box. So after a while, I showed them quickly what we were making and then took it away and didn't show it to them again until like week three mm. because I really wanted them to be thinking about the task that I had just given them. And at the end of the product of the day was you, you're you better at sawing now than you were when you first came in and you've cut a nice clean square edge. And that's the product for today. That's all that we're focusing yeah. on. And then next week we're cutting a rebate into that. So at the end of the day, I want you to have this rebate cut and that's what we're focusing on this. But it really was, it was really hard to try and balance that because a lot of people do want a project or- Yeah, definitely. It, it's, it's hard to focus on a skill when you don't know how it's being applied to a bigger picture yeah and, definitely and so having that was was useful i think that you made a really good point there it's and that's something i try and focus on a lot is when i'm performing a specific task i don't need to be thinking about why i'm cutting this piece of wood to this long i don't need to be thinking of the application of that piece of wood this is this part in the toolbox and that's why i need to cut it i need to be thinking about kind of square and straight line and my technique with the saw and that condition of the saw and how I'm looking after the saw. If if that if you can kind of get into that mindset that each, you kind of split each process and like I'm cutting this set of the set of dovetails as good as I possibly can because I'm practicing cutting dovetails. Or when I happen to have made a draw as well. I think that is so far superior to I'm cutting this dovetails because I need to make this draw because I need to finish this piece. You you naturally become rushed and you you lose focus on 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 the things that need practice on the technique so i think that that's a that's a really good point to focus on and it is kind of what i'm talking about different to what you're talking about is it is kind of an idealistic view of woodworking i can be in such a kind of meditative state that i'm not thinking about my project and i'm just kind of floating through these different tasks obviously that in in reality that's not how it works like especially when it is commercial but I think if, if that can be in the back of your mind, and it's true for absolutely everything, I'm, I'm sharpening a blade. I'm not thinking about, I need this plane sharp because I need to get that surface flat or I need to shoot that end. I'm, I'm, I'm just making this edge as sharp as I can and I'm doing as good a job as I can. And yeah. you will always do a better job. Easier said than done. But I think that's a really good point you phrased there. I, I think it's sometimes you don't realize early on how, how essential that is. Yeah. I think in some regards, for me anyway, when I was getting started in woodworking, there were certain processes that I just assumed would work. If I ran it through the process, then I would get the result. Yeah. And I think it actually took quite a lot of experience before I realized how these individual processes require that level of focus. I loved in that woodworking class, teaching people how to hammer a nail was one of my favorite ones because hammering a nail is definitely one of those processes that we just assume is really straightforward and you know, I should be able to do it. You know, I, I swing the hammer at the thing why am I getting it wrong? I'm just bad. You know, there's nothing to this. And so actually talking to people and going, okay, here's what I want you to do to practice the skill of hammering a nail. I want you to focus on this. Every time you strike it, I want you to have a, you know, look, I want you to treat this as a skill. I always loved doing that one because it really, I felt anyway, it made it clear that none of these processes are beneath us. I'm not expecting, none of these are simple. They all require focus and you will get better at all of them if you can treat them this way regardless of what it is. But it's a hard thing, or it's not an, not an obvious thing, I think, initially, when you're getting started. You just kind of go, oh, if I go up to the, the machine and I run the thing through it, I should get the result. Yeah, right? definitely. I think that's even even more true for power tools and machinery. Like, I, I pick up a driver, and I put it in the head of the screw, and I pull the trigger, and, like, 
as a as a as a layman as a beginner that screw goes in surely that's it like i don't need to be mm. thinking any further on that that's what the machine is, is designed to do but there's so much more than that i'm applying pressure in the right places i've picked the head of this the the, the bit to match the screw and like even those things that you'd consider just work is it's almost never the case there's always there's always so much more to it um i mentioned earlier that I think the majority of people get into woodworking because they want a thing. Mm. Do you think that's true? Or... I don't know. I was. I thought that was an odd statement when you made it. Um, yeah, I did as well after I said it. I don't. I don't know <laughs> why most people get into woodworking. To be honest, I think. I think there are a lot of reasons. I think one of them. Well, we had actually a lot of students come through that um, city community college course who were. Yeah. Um, middle-aged to older women who just had never been allowed to do it when they were younger and their fathers had done it and it was something they'd always thought was interesting and were now getting around to doing it and that was they didn't necessarily have anything they just wanted to have these skills that had been denied of them when they were younger actually a huge huge amount of people who came in who told us that specifically um or you know they just felt useless around the house or they felt like these were skills that they should have and so we had a lot of people come yeah. through interested in the skills. skills in that regard we did have some people come in particularly on the um the stool making course who were there to get yeah. a trendy looking stool and i think that mm. there is that experience aspect of it of you know uh, i'll get something unique something you know it uh, because our price range wasn't so bad you pay 160 dollars and you get a, a chair that you made in your home that's kind of nice yeah but I, on the whole why do people get into woodworking i have i have i'm not sure because it's great um <laughs> yeah uh, it's great. i don't i, I think yeah. some people definitely do because they have something they have in mind where they saw something online and they're like oh i could make that maybe i do think yeah, that I is think so. a large thing so Stuart. I work sometimes now teaching at Hartwood Creative Woodworking in Merrickville. Yeah. And um, they they have a really cool approach that's different from how I do it. But they they create these really nice products that the students walk away from. And then they do advertise the students at the end of the course with the products because they're wonderful. Yeah. And I I was talking with Stuart the other day about how I'm, I am always like, I can't help it. I have to be, I don't really care about the product that they produce. I care about the the skills that they get out of it, and yeah. and Stuart kind of said something really interesting to me, which is which was that a lot of people a lot of people come into it excited to make the thing, and then having made a thing that they think is great, and realizing how possible it is to make something that's in their case actually better than what a lot of those people thought they were capable of when they came in. Yeah, definitely. they get more excited and more interested in the processes and the fact that they can do these things, which I thought was a really, really interesting argument. So you're kind of teasing yeah. them in to the idea of eventually wanting to know these skills more by getting yeah. them excited it, about having made something. Yeah, which is kind of solving the problem that I mentioned of, of marketing a course that you're not necessarily walking away with anything. You've kind of solved that problem because you've, you've, you've got them in on a course that can be make whatever you want, walk home with it, fantastic, which is definitely going to be in more demand. Yeah. And kind of working to convert them almost. Mm. Oh, it's always, well, so it's always about converting them. <laughs> yeah, 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 I guess it is. I guess it is. From from our point of view, kind of our, our interest in the craft, then yeah, absolutely it is. Um, I don't think that's the case with all teachers. No, and it, at the at the Bauer, for instance, it was it, we were. I mean, the Bauer's main emphasis was reuse and preventing things from going to landfill. And one of our main focuses was to teach people how to how to value um, materials that were otherwise going to waste, secondhand timbers, how to you know make stuff themselves, fix things themselves, to try and prevent stuff from ending up in landfill. We were getting them in yeah. on a woodworking course and having them work with these secondhand tools and secondhand materials to try and show them. So I I think woodworking courses are propaganda. I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how we should start advertising them. <laughs> it's is, I think I think that statement I made about people wanting to make stuff and that's how they get into wood making wanting to make a thing and that's how they get into woodworking. I think that opinion of mine has come from a lot of the teaching spaces I've 
seen. So, like, I've started teaching, I mentioned before, at the Maker's Shed in Bristol. And I'm slowly going through kind of soft handover and I'm going to be taking over the Monday evening course. The Monday evening course is kind of an ongoing thing. There's a constant intake of students working on their own designed projects, which is really interesting because the and what i found is the the idea isn't really that these students want the skills to to make things in the future or or to kind of progress into more advanced woodworking really the 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 most common thing is those students want the thing they're building and they just want to be able to say they've built that yeah. not necessarily take it any further which is fine well is it yeah. fine i don't know i don't know, <laughs> I don't know. but and that's, and that's a very similar thing that I saw when I was in Canberra with Hiroshi in mm-hmm. his workshop. He does the same thing. He has ongoing students. And I asked him questions because at the time I was kind of doing a lot of research into different workshops and on that whole journey. And so I took a lot of notes on, on his approach to it. And I said, does it ever become the case where you can kind of give a lecture or demonstrate something to everyone because obviously naturally everyone's at such different points not only because you've got intake of students all the time but also because the projects are so different from each other yeah and he approached it differently to the maker's shed does in the sense he said yes absolutely he kind of has uh he keeps track of everything that he's gone through in detail with each student, which is amazing. Wow. Yeah, and he's got a board and he kind of uh, he kind of goes through it and almost checks things off. And so he can keep track of, right, we're, we're going through um, some marking out stuff, for example. I know these three students haven't yet gone through that in detail. Offer them to come around and have a look. And you kind of eventually get everyone to a similar point because they're ongoing projects and usually for a long term, like years. Yeah. So you do get people to a certain point, um, which is something that isn't the case at the Maker's Shed and something that I'd really like to introduce. I'm not sure if that's the direction they want it to go, but yeah. that's something I want to be looking at. That's like one student was at the Maker's Shed, they don't sharpen their own tools, which I agree with to an extent, but. <laughs> One of the students was cutting dovetails and she was paring the shoulders. And this particular student is very, very precise, kind of uh-huh. zero margin for error. Very slow, but very precise work. And I was kind of mentioning, and she was using a, a guide block like we did in Japan for pairing stuff. Yeah. Um, and I was explaining to her the importance of having a flat back on the chisel for, do, for doing that tech. Yeah. Kind of this doesn't work without a flat back. That chisel was in good nick. But I was just trying to explain to her that without a proper shape being made and proper edge on that chisel, this whole process doesn't work. And yeah. I said to her, would you like me to go through sharpening with you at some point? And she absolutely jumped on it. She was like, yeah, I'd, I'd love that. You know, I, I, I see Jenny, the, the, the usual teacher, kind of going away and sharpening the chisels and bringing them back and they work great. But I kind of like to be independent of that, mm-hmm. which is great. So that kind of proves that there is conversion in, I think, most people if you can get them excited enough about a certain thing. But it's yeah. interesting how, how it varies from, from teaching space to teaching space. It, it really does. Like we said before, it, I think it also varies on the, the students and what they're looking for as well. And and that actually highlights a certain attitude. There's there's definitely some of us out there who just want kind of freedom and, and to be able to do it or like not rely on anyone. And those of yeah. us like that want want the skills so hard. We, we don't yeah. want there to be anything in the system that we can't do ourselves. And so we are prone definitely. to wanting to learn this, the fundamentals. And I think there are people out there who aren't particularly, they don't mind. They they don't just kind of want to go through and have a good time and, and get a different yeah, thing out of it. Yeah, and they're happy to at certain points need someone else to do a thing because they're not they're not necessarily interested in going down that, that vein, which is fine. Yeah. Going off the back of that, I wanted to, to mention West Dean. In particular, the conservation course is not... I don't really want to talk about the making right now, but okay. that structure was very interesting to me and when i was first looking around westine really interested me that it was a conservation course restoration course but you're working on pieces for customers Mm -hmm. that was kind of a lot of the concept of westine sometimes that customer happened to be the tutor whether that was meant to happen or not, I don't know. <laughs> that seemed to quite frequently be the case, restoring his own furniture. Uh, not in other departments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fine. Um, anyway, the books department did have a, a bin of donated books, uh, but the furniture department had Norbert's personal items. Norbert's <laughs> furniture from his house. Yeah, which was interesting. But I just wanted to, to kind of bring that approach up 
And obviously this is a slightly different thing because it's a full-time long course. It's a year, academic year. Um, so it's a slightly different thing to what we've been talking about before, which tend to be shorter courses like the Bauer. But I just wanted your kind of opinion. I know we had very different experiences at West Dean, but mm. I wanted your opinion in as much or as little detail as you like about whether you think that was a good structure for West Dean, kind of that idea of having a real client and and kind of being exposed to that was the right thing to do or whether it should have been more process-based or a happy balance of the two or or do you do you think that was the right way to go for West Dean really? I I think it's a I think it's a great way to go but I do think it's a matter of of balancing and there there was to some degree a balance you know you worked on the projects that you were you had which was a client's chair or or cabinet or Katrine or whatever um but you know we do a week of gilding and a week of blacksmithing um yeah. or you know we go to science class on wednesdays and we do other things i do wish there was more of those skills heavy training days i think i would have yeah. really appreciated because i i think largely because i am someone who likes to be guided through skills and likes to learn fundamentals i was yeah. really would have would have loved to be walked through a bunch of basic processes um particularly initially but i th- i i mean i grew up getting my hair cut at a um hair cuttery training place i'm sure it has a better name than that <laughs> But like my hair was always cut by a student who was getting that opportunity to practice on someone. So that's not a foreign concept to me. And there is something nice about there's also something nice about meeting with an actual client because we got to meet with them, talk with them about what they wanted and go through that process rather than us. You know, because I could I could understand what Norbert or our tutors wanted from us and from an academic perspective. But getting that experience to meet with someone to try and and talk with them about what they want to try to explain what you were trying to achieve and and meet that common ground is 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 an extremely valuable skill. And then also Definitely. working on something that you know isn't just a, a bin, you know, piece of furniture that you can muck up or whatever. You yeah, Knowing that, that there's value in completing it, that, that by getting it done. Risk. There's a level of risk, but there's also a, a true reward. Somebody cares about yeah. this piece at the end, which, yeah. which, which is kind of encourages you to do a slightly better job than you might lean on otherwise. Yeah. Um, and, the, and those skills with... with client relations and dealing with expectations are so valuable to kind of for the, those people that are following this as a career which is everyone at West Dean if not the majority at West Dean I think yeah. that is a is a really great asset of the core one of a huge amount of added value and I know I know Norbert worked hard to try and give consistent projects across students like all of us in our year worked on a chair and we all worked on a clock case um, yeah. and we all kind of had some consistent projects but even within them they weren't the same and the problems we faced weren't the same and unless you worked hard to go and visit other students to see how they were dealing with their particular yeah. issues you were going to miss certain skills which is just the nature of it but it would have yeah. been i i i'm not sure well I, i'm not sure i'm confident to say it would have been better to do this but i think if if i was doing it i would have had a hard time as a teacher not trying to ensure that everyone got some base consistent skills i think that's just a hold up in me yeah yeah that, it's, that was it's the tricky thing one. i was going to ask really was by doing it that way and by having kind of a real cases and real pieces to be working is there always going to be that that risk of a student's not necessarily a risk but the factor that each student's experience is different and maybe you'd get those people that aren't as confident to talk to other students or to kind of get more involved or just don't have that in them like is it is it from their point of view from the school's point of view is it worth having that amount of difference in student experience that it might not be as valuable as it could be for everyone yeah. rather than having a kind of more set process that every student works through. The, well, the so the ceramics department, in... for instance, definitely did yeah. do that. They were like, you're going to work on historic glass. You're going to work on porcelain. You're going to work on, like, everyone was given a certain type of project. You're exposed to all these different, yeah. Yeah. Which, Norbert, yeah, like I said, Norbert true. tried to do that with furniture, but it's so, it's so difficult with furniture, I think. Furniture, even between yeah. the chairs we had, we had such different problems with them. 
Definitely. Um, and another issue that West Dean does have is their student intake is so varied in their experience, in their background, um, unreliable. You know these students have covered this previously or they, they're coming bearing this knowledge and you can rely on that. That's never the case at West Dean. It's all so, so varied, which on the other side is also really valuable because having that variation between the students makes it even more valuable for all those to have those conversations with people with different experiences from them is fantastic yeah there's also there's there was the huge ethical side of it which was always in contest because there's the, yeah. the there's a lot of different ethical aspects of conservation from the the kind of full-on restoration we're going to just cut it up and we're going to strip it back and we're going to do whatever to the complete preservation where we're not going to do anything other than just maintain it and you throw a bunch of students into an environment where all these ideas are being thrown at them from fellow students from different people and we kind of struggle a little bit to know what what ethical path we should take but we were given a lot of freedom to make those decisions on the pieces yeah and i kind of think it would have been you know how you know in a lot of um furniture schools you might have students who want to do hand tools only and you might have students who want to do machine heavy but everyone's going to do the hand tools project and everyone's going to do the machines project so that everyone gets exposure to both yeah and then they can kind of make the decision it kind of would have been nice to have a similar like everybody does the full restoration project Everybody does the overly preservation project. And then for your last two projects, you can kind of do what you think is more yeah. in line with what you want to do going forward. Yeah, uh, but that's that kind of a different sense. aspect of, of that yeah. particular type of school. Definitely. And I think that's something I'd like to talk about in a future episode. Um, go into a little more of the ethical debates in restoration and conservation. And I would like mm. to talk about that a little bit more in another episode. But not cool. right now. I think. Yeah. Um, do I have any more questions for you, Shane, about about teaching spaces? I have. I um, have one more thing that I wanted to jump on. Go on. Because um, it was on my mind when we were talking about. I I think I there's a personal aspect to why I want to teach skills as well. Um, okay. And I feel very strongly that I want to teach people skills in the teacher sense. Like my teachers in school were trying to teach me to do something. I don't want to, and this is possibly not in the most positive terms, I don't want to babysit people while they do a fun activity. I'm, I'm definitely want to teach people a set of skills that are very, very important and very valuable in my mind. Which goes Um, back to that woodworking experience. Like that is fun thing that you go and do and walk away with something yeah pretty. Like that, that is what that is yeah it's like you know like it's uh maybe the difference between doing a tango class with your partner on the weekends because it's fun versus you know going and training as a dancer as a dancer yeah and, yeah. and i want to train people to be a dancer um i do love, <laughs> love to see that <laughs> <laughs> i love i love like weekend dancing classes and the concept of them and i think that they're great but Mm. like in terms of this craft i'm i'm so keen to to see people really get into the the guts of it i guess definitely definitely and i think that only works because you have and i have as well got so involved with that side of it Mm. got so kind of deeply interested in in the skills and in the tools and and historically in the skills and all sorts i think that that the teacher needs that kind of kind of not knowledge but that kind of passion within them to be able to to teach that kind of process based course effectively yeah Mm. To, to take the dancing metaphor though back to something we said before how often do you hear you know oh i started off taking a weekend class in dancing and now i'm really into it yeah, um, and that definitely. could go to that same, oh, I took a class to make a breadboard and now I'm, you know, making this Windsor chair by hand in my garage. Amazing, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I think that's definitely true, which is the beauty of the whole boon carving thing. I don't know if we've mentioned on here before, but we've definitely talked about it. That is such a great way to access working with wood. Mm-hmm. Um, the barrier to entry of that, uh, doing it at home, is so low. I, I can get one knife and a piece of wood off the side of the road. Yeah. And, and I, I can make spoons and from that so many people do take that further what else can i do with wood what other tools can i get hold of um so i think that's the beauty of that whole movement as well which has become so popular and i think that's the reason you don't need the space you don't need the tools it's just a way to get into it yeah i have a question for you 
Because oh, no. um, the, the subject is teaching the task, yeah. how do you approach getting your student to focus on the task? Do you have a spiel or a thought process or anything that you would try to introduce to them to get them to think about the task? Or what do you, if you're trying to explain that to them, how would you explain what that means? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think, I think, I, I think we've already we've I've already kind of kind of said my answer to that it it what I tend to go back to using is a I use you as an example all the time. It's your fault, <laughs> um, and your the demonstration that you do with the hand saws. Right. Um, I use that and kind of the the thoughtfulness in in the action, and I also talk about. Um, our time in Japan really mm. often like like I'm shouting the chisel and I'm not I'm not thinking about what I'm making what what cuts I'm doing with the chisel afterwards and all of that I'm just thinking about the edge of the blade which I already talked about but it's that kind of experience which I often try and relay to a student like you're playing in this edge square and you're getting frustrated with it because maybe the plane's not doing what you want or the workpiece is moving it's not held right or something is making that process not satisfying mm-hmm. and often it's because I'm thinking about why that edge needs to be square or because this door needs to fit in this opening or yeah. my my kind of thoughtfulness in that process is not entirely directed at doing the task, but it's divided into here's the task I need to do and here's why I'm doing it and here's the kind of why I need to do it quickly or and it's kind of trying to relay that to a student, which is quite difficult. And yeah. It's kind of telling people to enjoy what they're doing is not effective. That doesn't work but that's really what i'm trying to get across like don't be doing this because you want to take home the wardrobe yeah. you're doing this because of how satisfying that plane is to take a shaving when it's all done right and but and the only way to do it right is to practice this and to kind of to be in that moment entirely which is a really difficult thing to do yeah really difficult thing to do especially when often using those tools is frustrating because yeah. they're not set up right because i don't know how to set them up or they're not sharp enough and it can be a really frustrating thing and that can be enough to put people off so i'm kind of quite tentative at that stage like all right don't like try and enjoy this process like th- this is a satisfying thing woodworking is famously a satisfying thing but why is it not satisfying to you there's something going wrong let's not just continue doing what we're doing but let's look into why it's not satisfying why are we not enjoying this task why is it become frustrating yeah and it all comes down to kind of kind of practice and understanding the tools and knowing what you're doing yeah and just knowing what the hell you're doing yeah yeah i find it interesting because it, it's something i i have definitely it, it makes sense in my head but trying to communicate that concept to a bunch of people who are kind of just keen to jump on the tools oh, yeah. and they've maybe used a saw before or something and i yeah i don't know i've, I've leaned on a number of of different stories and approaches to try and do it and I, I thought i was getting close for a while but it's it's so hard to say one of the ones that i would often talk about was the first time I, my mom ever asked me to sweep the kitchen and i just stood in the middle of the room like a cartoon character moving the broom back and forth <laughs> and it wasn't doing any good and the reason it wasn't doing any good was because i wasn't thinking at all about how that tool actually moved dirt around i was just trying to repeat a process i had seen before yeah. um and i try and like use that kind of anecdote to get into the idea of how important it is to think about you know the way the saw cuts through the wood if i just repeat this back and forth process I'm I'm not actually paying attention to how the saw is actually doing its job, and if I pay attention to how the saw is doing its job, I can get a much better result. I, I've yeah. I've definitely leaned on that before, but I'm so interested to hear how how other people get into that headspace because it it definitely. I think it really is a change of headspace. Yeah, I agree. It really is. It, it's not just uh, it's not just more knowledge. It's not just practice, but it is a it's an approach, and it, it's something I I mentioned in the the first article I wrote for the Wood Review actually and mm-hmm. it was my experience of first sharpening a blade which was a case of copying a video I've watched probably of Paul Sellers sharpening a blade and it and it really was just going up and down on a stone like I knew this was what sharpening looked like yeah so I'm just kind of repeating the actions that I saw and hoping for the result not necessarily checking or knowing what to check for along the way or even really what I'm aiming for but I just knew this is what it looked like and obviously you don't get the good result and if you do you've probably just got lucky yeah but it's that kind of 
and I think I used the word primitive in the article, like <laughs> I'm not just repeating the actions that I've seen and hoping for the same result, but I need an increased understanding of why I'm doing these actions. It's actually something you said in the last episode, which I've replayed quite a few times, because I think it's a really good line, which I cannot remember now. <laughs> like, but I said something it. really good. You great. said something great. Um, <laughs> oh, Christ. You said something really great. It was... I, I, it was, you said, we were talking about your finishing course, and you mm-hmm. said you cannot settle for the students just kind of doing a thing because that's what you've told them to do, but you want them to have the knowledge to know why they're doing the thing. Yeah. Or words to have that effect. And Sounds I thought that good. was fantastic. I like it. That, yeah, <laughs> it, it, was, it was probably slightly more concise than that, um, and slightly more American, um, <laughs> but that was kind of the, that was the gist of it. And I thought that was fantastic. That, that was exactly, exactly along the lines that we're talking about now. Yeah. You got anything else you wanna you wanna ask or no. any other points on teaching we wanna discuss right now? Not at the moment. No. I think I think we've got more teaching episodes ahead of us. Definitely, definitely. We're we're slowly I, I'm at the moment kind of I, I mentioned I was just starting teaching at the Makers Shared. I'm in discussions with another school about about um, providing them with a with a weekend and a week course. Mm-hmm. Also somewhat in the process of acquiring a new work workshop which will be set up as a teaching space as well so nice. something that i'm early in the process of getting into teaching but it's something that i think about a lot and kind of is as important to me as doing the woodwork itself is yeah kind of is the same same idea as this podcast is having these conversations and starting conversations about craft and this yeah. crafty world and stuff in it <laughs> yeah he said that he said the title it's good we should we should call it that <laughs> it's great <laughs> yeah te- i mean i can't i'm always everything everything's is coming back to teaching whether it's whether it's i'm you know working on this finishing course and and in the in the new year i'm i'm trying to see if i'm going to expand that or or do some different versions of it um explore different avenues stuff that i'm not even necessarily confident with but yeah that might go down some roads but also my own education i'm constantly thinking about how i can get better at what i'm doing and what i need as a teaching experience which is where i'm really excited about some future projects in that regard but yeah definitely yeah it's it's so important and it's it's even more important as as I think some of the like for instance the furniture school at uh, Australian National University has just been announced that it's going to be cut. I saw that. Um, yeah. And it just feels like these programs, in any sort of structured way, educational way, are being shut down. And so the people passing on these skills are going to be the small workshops like yours who are running yeah. these little programs and. And yeah, you can make money off of the come make a box at my workshop. But I mean, if we kind of end up bearing a certain responsibility to pass the craft on, not that I'm at yeah. any point to do that. I'm so early on in my career. Well, that's the, that is the other thing. That is the other thing. Anyway, what have you been yeah. up to, Shane? Um, I've been struggling with shellac all week. <laughs> Wonderful. Sounds, sounds great. <laughs> My hands are covered in shellac. My soul is covered in shellac. Um, just, just this whole thing of trying to rework a shellac surface without stripping it. So, taking a, an old surface that's that's maybe got some damage or some scratches or some places where it's burnt through or crazed, and trying to get that to a nice new not new but polished result that maintains the characteristics of its age but has been completely reworked to take the damage out of it is is so much harder than i had initially thought it would be um on some of these pieces and it kind of sucks now because like there's that old trick with white stains for instance like oh your your table has a white ring in it what do you do you take i don't know some linseed oil and and some steel wool and you push it in and then you're good to go and that's been a very common solution that's really easy and and pretty much anyone can do it until you learn that well on a shellac surface the rest of the surface is going to be coated with shellac and what you're actually doing with that linseed oil is you're pushing it underneath the shellac in the white spots and what the white spots are are places where the shellac has separated from the surface so you're basically pushing linseed oil in under the shellac and so those areas that were white rings are now linseed oil in the wood which is going to darken over time 
and become kind of blotchy. Yeah. And what you're basically doing is temporarily making it look nice and in the long term creating dark, blotchy rings. Problems. And so with that kind of easy solution gone, it's uh, it's not it's not easy to try and get that shellac to re-adhere down to the surface. So you can kind of soften the shellac with alcohol again because shellac dissolves in alcohol, but you run the risk of burning through it. You know, how, how deep can you get that to go? How much can you rework that surface? Can you rework that surface? Can you soften enough of the old shellac to actually move it around to fill mm. the gaps without building up on top of it? Because, you know, you're using your shellac rubber, so you could potentially be building shellac. So I, this has been my whole week working on three, four different projects that all have the same kind of issue and just struggling across the board with all of them. Um, and, and, and with great success today. So today was fantastic because like at the end of Thursday, I went and I thought I was making some progress. It's that same sort of thing we were talking about today. You're, you're thinking, I started thinking about the process on day one of working on this table. I was just doing stuff. I was repeating things I'd seen. I was using things I'd seen. I was just doing stuff to this table. Day two, I came in and I was really thinking through what I was doing and I was observing and I was making note of what was going on. And towards the end, I was kind of going, oh, okay, some of these things that I thought were right aren't quite right. And these other methods are getting me a better result. And I went and spoke with um, Nick, who's an amazing, amazing finisher and restorer and conservator. And um, he just looked at my rubber, my rubber, my wad, and he went, you know, it's the right hardness, it's too small, it's got too much shellac on it, and, you know, you could tell from looking at it what I was kind of making mistakes in the process. And then I was able to go to Oliver and told him that, and Oliver told me, oh, yeah, some extra added information, um, which is interesting because they have very different methods between them for doing the same type yeah. of task which is also something that I struggle with because I kind of want someone to go, the technique is this. And it turns out like there's several different techniques. (laughs) Yeah. And so (laughs) when I today took all of that information back to this table, started at the beginning of the day and went, this is the process that I'm going to run on this table because it makes sense based on what I've learned and I'm thinking it through. And I was able to get a, a... quite satisfying result um, at the end of it. Like everything I did today went went really well. The only things that are still yeah. stand out in the table are leftovers from some of the stuff from the first day. So nice. it, uh, Yeah, I saw the post you did and it, it looks fantastic. I know yeah, well. taking a photo of a polished surface doesn't really help. <laughs> you you so, get it at so the right angle and it always looks shiny. Yeah, and it nice. looks fantastic. Nice one. You can do it before and after without doing anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and in that like, particular case, that photo that I posted from the... It's actually from the second yeah. day at the end when I still wasn't happy with it, but it just happens to <laughs> yeah, look really get, nice. Yeah, but it looks fine. <laughs> yeah, nice one. That is a good bit of work, though. Kind of fortunate to have so many jobs with the same same yeah, process. Yeah, all in one week. At the same time. That's brilliant. Yeah. That gives you probably And so many people to talk to, too. Task. Yeah, yeah, that's it as well. You're fortunate for that. That's great. Yeah. Nice. We'll put that on the on on the craft, This Crafty World Instagram. Um, cool. Yeah, we'll and that's, that's also with, what... What's got me so excited for future thing, but I'm thinking I'm going to talk more about that next time on the show. Yeah, yeah. Super, super nice secret future project. Uh, super secret future project. Wow. What have you been um, up to? Harry? I got a message. I got a message from Mark. That's what I've been up to this week. Ah. In kind of response to. That's it. That's all you've done all week. So I think. Um. Yeah. Just been reading Mark's message over and over. <laughs> um. I actually haven't read it yet. <laughs> I was waiting for it, but now <laughs> I've just left it as unread to remind me to read it now. Um, okay. So it could be horribly inappropriate, you never know. He okay. said, good evening to you, Harry, and good morning to you, Shane, in, yeah. ke- in case you're reading it immediately upon me sending it, which is not the case because it's about <laughs> two weeks ago. Um, he thanked us for answering his question somewhat. He said he's finished his apprenticeship in July, which makes him now a journeyman. Ah, cool. Um, yeah, really cool. So he can now travel around to learn about different techniques in timber framing slash roof framing. But he said it's not wise to do this before spring, which makes sense. Uh-huh. So he's continued to work in the workshop where he did his apprenticeship as, yeah. as an employee. But however, he feels there is more out there to learn, especially in the field of traditional framing. That is awesome. Yeah. He's hesitant to make the next step. Bah, 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 bah. And strangely, he says it feels like he's abandoning the workshop, which I understand entirely, which kind of you've got so comfortable in a space. It feels like a step to be on to to leave. 
he mentions Takami building the school in yeah. France. Yeah. And that he's asked Mark to go and help, which is amazing. So yeah. um, Mark says feels like a huge honour and an amazing learning experience if things work out. Um, some details to be worked out. That's so cool. And he goes on to, to talk about lots of different things. He says, anyway, it's so fun to hear you guys talk and basically to inform, inform me of what you're up to. Um, it also puts him back in Kyoto. That's lovely. Awesome. So that's that's what Mark's been up to. We love Mark. I'm going to have to reach out to you, Mark, um, if you're listening to this at some point soon. But that's um, for a super secret project. Yes, super secret project. Anyway, what have I been up to? I've got drawers now. Massive fucking drawers. Christ. They're like blanket boxes in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got 177 dovetails. Three of the drawers are running now. The other one is still in clamps, which I'm going to go and do this afternoon. It's then just putting bottoms in the drawers, finishing the fronts, putting some sort of handle on and the top, and it should be gone. I'm aiming for the end of next week, which might be optimistic, but I'd love to not have it in my workshop anymore. So that it piece is, a is getting thing, there. Though. It will be a beautiful thing. Um, it already is. It's stunning. Yeah. I love it. Except I'm concerned about giant drawers because I hate giant drawers. Yeah, I hate giant drawers as well. And I did advise against giant drawers, but giant drawers it is. Fine. Mm. I've also, I planted two trees. Don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I did see that. Um, I planted a pear tree and an apple tree with my brother um, on the small piece of land we've got. The local council are doing a scheme for tree week, which is this week. Happy tree week. Happy tree week. Obviously sponsored by the letter T, it had to be. Um, So they're kind of giving free vouchers to go to a tree seller, a dealer. I don't know what you are if you sell trees. Um, A nursery. A farm. Anyway, to go to one of them and kind of redeem a free tree. And there was 300, 300 of these available for South Gloucestershire. So me and me and Sam claimed one each and we planted it in the field. We nice. also bought a Christmas tree in a pot from him, which was amazing because it's still got its roots, meaning we can plant that after Christmas as well, rather than just having a dying tree. So that's, that's really good. exciting. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I've been looking at, looking at new workshop spaces, yeah. um, which is all very exciting and very scary at the same time. But there's something in the works so that's really exciting as well um yeah lots going on at the moment lots going on um lots of separate things happening all at the same time but it's all very exciting but yeah yeah being busy although still on the same project (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've sent some more posters out actually a poster is on its way to you do you know that nice um robbie ordered a few of those yeah he ordered Um, like four of them yeah he ordered loads of them which was great i'm really pleased with those posters they look so good. People seem to be really, really enjoying them. I had, yeah. I don't know if you saw, I shared, I shared someone's story who had made a really cool mount for one. I did see that. I love um, that. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I believe he's in Germany. I might have completely made that up, but one has gone to Germany and I think it's to him. But it's under like a layer of glass with these two like wooden blocks on a mm-hmm. hessian back. That was really cool. Just nicely done. I'm interested to see how people hang them, like, because it feels a shame to just put it in like a like a shit perspex click frame. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've I've posted one to Norbert as well for Christmas. Nice. Um, which I don't suppose you'll listen to this before Christmas, but if you do, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, um, <laughs> And that's yeah, that's what I've been up to really. I've had some some nice messages about the podcast, which is really encouraging. Have we? Yeah, we have. Um, from yeah. Peter. You know Peter. I do know Peter. He sent some great things. I think that was to my personal Instagram. I think that's why they haven't. But he was saying how he was listening to it while he was working. And awesome. Um, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. See you later. Yeah. Adios.